This week I actually uh, slept in my office here on property, so it was me and Jesus the whole week. So trust me, nobody will be happier to see warmer temperatures than Jesus because he is sick of saying Father Ben, okay? So um, come Lord Jesus, come. But I wanted to walk around and make sure the pipes in the building were, were good. Thanks be to God we didn't have any problems. And you know, in, the Southerners are really funny when it comes to snow, right? Because if we get snow before Christmas, we're like, oh, this is so exciting. It's a white Christmas. We get snow after Christmas. Like, I hate the snow. I hate the snow. You know, so we're kind of fickle that way. Those of you that are from Italy probably know this, but uh, in Italy, the country of Italy, there's 20 different regions. And in the northeast, there's a region called Veneto. And the capital of Veneto, of course, is Venice. And if you know anything about Venice, um, there in the square, that's where St. Mark is buried. That's where we just heard from, the Gospel of Mark. So that's where he's buried. But much of Venice is actually below sea level, kind of like New Orleans. It floods there a lot. In fact, they get about 100 floods a year. But once every five years in the Veneto region, they have what they call the Aqua Alta, the high water, the Aqua Alta. So this whole region around there floods a lot, and it's salt water. So as one can imagine, this is not good for a lot of the plants, but there's this one grapevine called the Amarone grape, and the locals say that the Amarone grape actually thrives, it thrives on the punishment of the weather, the heat, the salt water, the flooding. They say it makes it stronger. And for them, the Venetians, they say that there's a strong analogy there between our spiritual life and the Amarone grape. I mean, everybody here, we've all heard this, that which doesn't kill you makes you... So it's kind of like the Amarone grape. So if you talk to them, they'll, they'll pick one of these grapes, which are pretty small, actually. They put it in their hand and they squeeze it <laughs> like that, as if to say this is what the punishment of life can sometimes do. But one of the things that they say, and I agree with them, they say often human suffering and joy go hand in hand. You can't really separate human suffering and joy. Why? Because we often appreciate joy and the beauty in life after we've gone through hell. That's why, by the way, when you go to any Catholic church in the world, we keep the, cro- the body of Christ on the cross. A lot of our non-Catholic friends, they don't have that. We do. Why? Because there's no resurrection without the crucifixion first. And one of the things that helps us to appreciate some of the joy in life is, well, having gone through some of the hell of it, frankly. You know, this past Christmas I was asking all of us a question that I think maybe we need to revisit, frankly, and the question was this. Why are we here? What's the meaning of life? 
Like, Father, I haven't even had my coffee yet. You're asking the meaning of life, okay? But, I mean, arguably, this, there's no more important question that we're going to ask in life than what is the meaning of life? Why are you here? What's going to give you real happiness? That's not a Catholic question, folks. That's the human question. Trust me, if you, if, if you dedicate any time to one thing for the love of God, ask that question. What is going to make me happy? And I mean real happiness. I'm not talking, I want blank and I get blank. Two weeks later, I want blank, I get blank. One month later, I want blank and I get blank. Because you know what? Not that that's a bad thing, but it's never going to make us happy. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about something deeper. What is really going to make us happy? Is it something or someone? Because there's, there's two school of, schools of thought, right? There's some people on the one hand, they say, well, come on now. Come on. Life has no meaning. The world has no meaning. Our lives have no meaning. Only to the extent that you give it meaning. Okay. On the other hand, then some people would say, no, 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 no. Life has meaning. Our lives have meaning. All you've got to do is tap into that. Life has no meaning. You have to give it meaning. Life has meaning. You have to tap into that. So at the end of the day, here's the thing. I can't tell you what that is for you. You need to decide. But there's no greater question that you and I will ask in your life than that one. Hands down. You know, the year that they built this church, you probably heard me say, 1962, as we were going through the Cuban Missile Crisis, the Second Vatican Council, this is what it said about that question. It said, the closer that you and I get to Jesus Christ... The more we fall in love with Jesus, and the more we fall in love with ourself in a good way, not arrogant way. In other words, the more we see the beauty and have meaning in our life. The way they said it, and I'm quoting here, Jesus Christ fully reveals man to him or herself. In other words, as we get closer to him, we have meaning. You will find the truth, and the truth will set you free. What's going to make me happy? I want blank, I get blank. I want blank, I get blank. I want blank, I get blank. Not there's anything bad with, but there's never enough. There's got to be something deeper. You know, it's funny. Uh, one of the things I love about Europe is that they bring their dogs everywhere, and I'm very much of a, I love dogs. Honestly, it's not that I don't like cats. I just don't like cats. <laughs> okay, so no offense to cat. I've, I have met a couple cats that I love outside. Um, so, but I love, I love going there. It's really cool. You go to Europe and there's a dogs, 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 dogs. So last, <laughs> last weekend I was talking to one of our parishioners. And she said, you know, Father, um, she said, uh, dog owners, they kind of look like they're dogs. And I said, well, I don't actually have a dog because I'm never home, but if I did have a dog, what kind of dog would I, would I look like? She looked at me and she said, a chihuahua. <laughs> and I was like, thanks. I don't know if it's like Napoleon complex. I don't know, whatever. Short man syndrome. 
But, um, but you know, it, it's really interesting. When I mean, think about it. Like, as much as we love our dogs, <laughs> what do you think your dog is thinking about all day? Time to eat. Time to go potty. Time to go to bed. In that order, right? And we love our dogs, but they're not pondering the deeper meaning of life. Maybe pondering the deeper meaning of Alpo, but not life, right? A dog can't paint the Sistine Chapel. A dog cannot write Mozart's magic flute. A dog cannot sculpt the Pietà, and a dog cannot come up with Einstein's theory of relativity. Can't, because for Mozart, Einstein, and Michelangelo. When they were working on these things, they weren't just coming up with some art. For all three of those guys, they were asking the deeper questions when they were doing what they were doing. The question is this: How do we get here? What's the meaning of life? God has writ that into every single human being and every one of us here. This big fat question mark. Why am I here? What's going to make me happy? And some people, folks, they're they're good people. They're well-meaning people, but they never dedicate any time to this. Why? Because they're watching TV all day. Okay, I'm not throwing anybody under the bus. You know, I'm not finger wagging. What I'm saying is, people numb their minds. Because they don't dedicate enough time into this question. You want to start? Turn your TV off. I mean, I don't own a television. I'm not finger wagging. I'm not standing on a soapbox. What I'm saying is, people numb their minds by entertainment. Dig into this, because there's nothing that's going to make us happier than answering that question. One of the things, believe it or not, that makes us. That, that gives meaning to life. It's hard to say. Suffering. We don't go looking for it, but it's going to find us. And one of the things, if Martin Luther King Jr. is right, what he calls co-redemptive suffering, and I happen to think he is. He said that when we go through the difficult stuff, it's like the amarone grape. On the other side of it, wow! You're bulletproof, man. Nothing touches you. Nothing. So, what has meaning? Does life have meaning, and I just have to tap into that, or is there no meaning? It doesn't matter what we are, what we do. Because if it's this, if life has no meaning. That's really dangerous, because people can easily adopt things they think will make them happy, but actually make them more miserable. Go to any AA meeting; they'll testify. I'll close with this. So, right on the border of Austria and Hungary, there's a small little country called Slovakia. The capital of Slovakia is a.、Um, About half a million people. It's called Bratislava. In October of 1998, I was、uh, waiting for a train. I was in the train station, and I was on my way to Vienna. 
And I just started this conversation with this handsome guy who was dressed to the nines. He looked like he was maybe in his early 80s. His name was Jan. And I started talking to him, and we were talking and talking. I felt like that scene from Forrest Gump, you know, when he was waiting on the bus. That's kind of what I was doing. So I was talking to this guy. And he just started sharing all this information about his life. And I was like, what? He is Catholic. And at the time, I was thinking about becoming a priest, but I was kind of floundering back and forth. So he told me, he said, you know, uh, Ben, I lost my entire family under the Nazis here in Slovakia. He's Catholic. He lost them all. He, he and his brother were the only survivors. So even though they weren't Jewish, they arrested his whole family. His parents, aunts, uncles, all of them were sent to Osvichem and Treblinka death camps. Why did they arrest them? Because they were helping the Jews. And he said, you know, Ben, I went through 30 or 40 years of being ticked off at God. Just being just resentful. And who would blame him? Not me. If you've heard of Elie Wiesel, he's the Nobel laureate. He's the one who coined the term Holocaust. Lost his entire family at Auschwitz. He was there when he was 14 years old, and it was this cold every day, by the way. And he said they were so hungry that the prisoners in Auschwitz would scrape the snow from the shoulders of other prisoners to have something to eat. They would scrape the snow off their shoulders and eat it. So Elie Wiesel and Jan, they both, they went, both went through this hell, and Elie Wiesel said he went through the same thing where he spent 40 years angry at God. If you're so loving, this loving God, you could permit this. But they said they came out the other side, Jan did, and this man was glowing with joy glowing with joy. He said, Ben, I felt like Lazarus who came out of the tomb. When somebody goes through their own hell, we need to remember two things. You never know what someone has gone through until you walk in their shoes. It's real easy to judge from the outside. And number two, when you go through that own hell yourself, trust me, there's goodness waiting joy. I can't tell you what the meaning of life is. You have to decide. But I can tell you this, there ain't nothing that is worth more of your time than to find out.